The Business Simplicity Podcast, where leaders share their most successful strategies and the failures that inspired them, so business owners and managers can avoid the suffering and reap the benefits. With your host, host, Chris Parker. And welcome to the Business Simplicity Podcast. This is Chris Parker, and I am having a conversation with Nick McRoberts, who is a composer and a conductor, and I'm sure we'll get into that. However, I know him from, I don't know how many years ago and and, and in between, in um, the consulting and coaching space where we've been having the privilege to work together to uh, transform the, the mindset and the approach of leaders of some very large organizations around the world. So um, really looking forward to this and also hopefully playing with the, the, um, the, the composer dimension of Nick, which I don't know that well, although I would love it if I was able to go actually see him, you know, conduct, I guess, a symphony or orchestra on one of your pieces. I think that would be a, uh, a beautiful life goal that I, that I would just be delighted about. So, um, so let's jump into it. And um, I'm really fascinated to see how you respond to this because someone who's so, so colorful and articulated and, and experienced, how, how can you express in the simplest way possible, what is it that you do? Oh, wow. What a big question. First of all, I'm delighted to be here, Chris. It's, it's such a pleasure to have this conversation. And you just hit me with a baseball bat of the, of the biggest, one of the hardest questions. Um, gosh, what do I do? You mean uh, in terms of, as a composer, what, what do I do? I'm or leave as that. a person, what do I do? Totally up to you. And, and my feeling with you is as a person and as a composer, they're probably the same, I guess. But I'm... They're pretty similar in the sense that both of them in, involve... Um, they're pretty mysterious. Com- composing for me is a, it's 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 not a day job. It's a um, it's w- one of the most intensely personal, important things I do. And it's kind of like I'm not sure. I think there's a reference. I think maybe I'm thinking of Plato, but this idea of a you know the, the you know the shadows in the cave, um, where the famous Plato thing, where if you all you see of the world, you're stuck in a cave, you change in a cave, and all you see is shadows on reflected on the wall. Strangely enough, composing is a little bit like that, and so me as a person too, um, you kind of grab hold of something and it's like you're feeling with your eyes closed, trying to figure out what it is you have. You know, those child's games where you put your hand in a box and you have to guess what it is. Um, composing is like that for me. Um, there are things that drift into my mind. I, I don't think them, they just appear. And then I try and figure out what they are and how they fit together and where they're going. And the only way I know if I've done that correctly is when I, when I'm working on a piece, I hear music in my head, um, it's actually quite loud. It's actually quite annoying and disagreeable at times when I'm in the middle of something. It continues to play. I'll be talking to somebody else. I'll be doing the dishes and they'll be really loud, like, you know, radio turned up really loud. What I'm working on playing constantly in my head. I think my, my conscious mind is trying to figure stuff out, but it's loud and it's distracting and you literally can't turn it off. You don't really have any control. And so this process of pulling on the threads and trying to figure out what is it, if I come up with the theme for a, a small piano piece, or is this a symphony, or is this an opera? What is, what is the and pulling on it and trying to connect the pieces and put them together? The nice thing is, you know, you're done because suddenly there is silence. It's magical. There's this process when I'm working on a symphony. A symphony takes me about a year, and opera takes two to three years. And there's this process where you got nonstop noise, sleeping, waking, doing the dishes, and then 
you know that there are things wrong. So the things that are working, things that are wrong, fixing the thing that's wrong, adjusting, adjusting, re rewriting, raising that, going over and over. And then finally, like my mum said to me, you're a perfectionist. It's never done. And I, she was, I was talking about I was on version 32 or something. And I said, no, you're, not, you're wrong about that because when it's right, there's this binary notion of wrong and right. When it's right, then suddenly there's no more noise. I feel no need to go back ever and tinker with it. It's, it may not be a great piece of music, but it's, it's done. And that was kind of a long answer to say that I feel the same way about my life and professionally. I was trying to figure out who you are and, and where this is leading and what the right choices that lead to something interesting are. Um, because I read recently a really interesting book by o Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, which is the average male life span. And when you express it in weeks, 4,000 weeks, <laughs> my immediate reaction was, heck, that's an incredibly short time, 4,000 weeks. So the maybe 2,000 I've got left, I really should be thinking about what I do with them. And any kind of, you know, I, I live in France now, I'm Australian, I'm conductor, composer, musician, working in consulting. Many of the things that, that, that I'm doing right now, I couldn't have predicted I'd be doing 20 years ago, except directionally in terms of what was going to make me grow, what was going to continue to hold my interest. Anyway, I could ramble on for hours on that, but I, I, that's my attempt to answer that, that heck of a metaphysical question. Well, let me, let me grab something else that, that emerged in my brain while you're talking about that, because... Um, in, in, in the coaching and consulting, and you have your own company, uh, KeyMove, and you work through other networks like enablers that I sometimes have the joy of doing as well. Um, but critical thinking is a, a dimension that I really attach to you um, that mm -hmm. seems to come up a lot. Um, and is, is critical thinking related to that, that constant sort of discovery and investigation of the unknown to, to, to reach your hand into that that box as a child where there was peeled grapes and people said that they were eyeballs you know that's what we did yeah. as a kid um, yeah, yeah, same. can you maybe connect the dots on on critical thinking and and reaching into the dark yeah that's another really good question for me critical thinking is kind of the other side of that um there's a fantastic interview with john cleese uh it, after Monty Python, getting you know older, where he said, as you get one of the great things about getting older, is you realize that practically nobody knows what the heck they're talking about. He's talking about television executives, and and the more um, somebody tries to convince you, a television pundit, they absolutely know what they're talking about, and they they know exactly who's going to win the next election, and I explain why. There's also a great book by Philip Tetlock called Expert Political Judgment, where he shows that the more you're convinced you're right, the more you tend to be wrong. So the people who are the most convinced that they know what's going on are the ones who are least likely to get things right if you actually check up afterwards. So for me, critical thinking, and I, do, I have a passion for that, I taught it at uh, MBA in, in, in Paris, um, is the self-critical thinking, really, really getting your mind around the fact that a lot of the times you think you're right and you're sure you're right. You could be wrong. Um, in fact, statistically speaking, you're likely to be wrong a lot. So that, that, that tool is a tool for me to, mainly for, for oneself, to think, um, don't be dogmatic, don't be, you know, try to, Try to think about this creatively and interestingly. And it's something I think we should use more widely to, to be able to, in a nice way, challenge people who, who think they've figured it out and get them to see other perspectives. And potentially even Rappaport's rules are great to try and help people have a dialogue. You know, a dialogue that's not you're right, I'm wrong, my worldview versus your worldview. So it's about being curious and humble. And I say that's the opposite to the composing thing, because in a funny way, if you, you could easily slip into kind of nihilism, 
and relativism and say, well, you know, it's all points of view and it depends on your data set. You know, you've got your facts and I've got my facts. And there's also a point where that doesn't work intuitively. You know, if you're doing music and you're art, there are things, they're amazing pieces of music. And you just, you can't get there. You can't figure out why they're amazing just by doing analytical, rational reasoning. You know, there's a place for that. It's great. But there's also a place for in intuition and, and and being sure you're right, even when you're wrong. So as a composer, for example, in the 90s, the music I was writing was, um, I was told that wasn't what I was allowed to be writing. It was supposed to be really contemporary, really hardcore, you know, avant-garde. And I felt that wasn't what I wanted to do. And at the time, I was the only body who thought, I was the only person who thought that I could be writing something else. I was alone against everybody telling me I was wrong. And there's a place also for believing, continuing to believe you're right when everybody else thinks you're wrong. But figuring out when you're a conspiracy theorist and when you're a, an undiscovered genius, getting, getting the balance, the humility, the curiosity, but not losing sight of what it is you want to do. That's, that's, that's a constant source of, I was going to say curiosity. It's more a struggle. Am I right here or am I being dogmatic? Am I giving up too easily when I should have persisted? So for me, critical thinking is the other side of that, you know, the other side of that coin. I guess in, in business contexts, um, it's what I feel is a lot of people talk about being, say, to, say fact-oriented or having critical thinking processes, but most of the decisions I see made in business are, are highly intuitive and guesstimates yep. at best. Yep. So I guess in that, in that context, <laughs> giving them a, a dose of, of critical thinking can only help. So, um, mm -hmm. And I guess there's a balance there you know, to, to be a bit ugly about it, but you know, the, the art and science and some of these things. Um, in, in my current world where we're, we're working diligently on, on say mobile applications and, you know, apps for people, then you know, there is a science of UX research. And then there's also a, a commercial dimension of what do we think we can sell. And there's also a, a belief of where do we think we should go and how do you differentiate mm -hmm. from some of the, from some of the large, um, you know, GAFM, the, the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and the Microsofts mm -hmm. of the world. So, um, mm -hmm. so I'd love to, 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 continue down that path a bit and and this is sort of the question of the podcast around um can you share a, a, a strategy a tactic an insight um from your life or from your, your 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 coaching or your composing um where you've really achieved some greater level of success perhaps through simplicity or or, or some other tactic around any of this that we're talking about how, how can someone yeah. take this and Boom, make it real for themselves. Yeah, what, what comes to mind is, is, is something that um, actually I read, strangely enough, in the, I think it's in the introductory chapter, one of Richard Branson's books. And I'm not, not sure I want to be holding Branson up, Branson up as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a model and a whole lot of things. But he said something that really, you know, sometimes you're reading a book and you feel like it's talking directly to you. There's a thing in there where he's being a bit provocative and he says, most people think they're good at lots of things. Most people in reality are good at nothing in a meaningful sense. Uh, and if you're good at one thing, there's al almost certainly you're only good at that one thing. So the challenge is figuring out, first of all, are you actually good at anything? And don't ask your family and your friends. You need to find people who can actually look at what you do and say whether there's anything there. Is there any talent? And if you are lucky enough to have a talent in just one thing, the real, the real struggle is then to find people better than you to do all the other things you thought you could do as well, all the surrounding stuff you need to you know, be a successful artist or musician or a business person. 
find people better than surround yourself with people better than 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 you who do all the other things and then just focus on trying to get really masterful at the one thing you think you have talent at and i must have read that about 15 20 years ago and i went what a great insight what the heck am i good at if anything and at the time i was you know a pianist i was a conductor i was a composer i was a consultant i was working in it i was doing 10, 15 different things. And strangely enough, <laughs> not a lot of them were getting finished or getting to fruition at that time. And over the period of the next 10 years, I sort of started investigating what is it I actually have a real talent for amongst those things, a talent that's better than, you know, maybe what other people might have. And one of the surprises to me, I'm, a, I'm a quite an okay conductor. People pay me to conduct. I'm a professional conductor. But in the process of looking at the world differently, I realized that there were people a heck of a lot better than me and so much better than I would ever be but that particular mountain, you know, I could spend the rest of my life trying to climb it, but I would be in the fifth, sixth, you know, group of climbers trying to climb the, the pinnacle of great conducting. And at the same time, I noticed that I, it wasn't because I knew I'd never get to the top. It was actually when thinking about it differently, but detached, I went, this is fun, but this is not my life's goal. It's fun, you know, but it's fun like surfing or rock climbing. These are things I like to do for fun. They're not, they're not me. So, okay, great. Um, and this is the balance is you need to keep, I think, multiple irons in the fire um, because professional world doesn't, you know, even business and art, it doesn't evolve in a linear fashion. You can't set up a five-year plan and then follow it. You need to set up a five-year plan. But then when interesting synchronicity, grace, things, meetings take you in a different direction, but it's, you didn't know it, but it's the right direction. It's just one you couldn't see from the previous vantage point. You need to be able to do that. So you can't afford to be monomaniac, you know, Sitting, you know, sitting in my room alone, writing piano sonatas for the next 40 years and hoping somebody will discover a manuscript after my death. And, you know, that, that, that doesn't work. But it's that balance between having a few serious things that you're working on seriously and one central thing. Um, not just one thing, but not 15. And so that process led me to realize the only thing I really want to do professionally. I mean, my family life is incredibly important. Friends, there are a whole lot of other things that are important. But professionally, the only thing I want to get done before I die and I could die next week, is try to write a piece of music that is something I'm enduringly proud of. If, if I had to listen to in front of one of my, my, my heroes, you know, another a great composer, I wouldn't be embarrassed to, to stand there and say, yeah, I wrote that. And that's, that might be just 30 seconds of music. I've got hopefully about 40 years to try and do it. But that single-minded focus, what a relief that I didn't have to be a, try and be a superhero in all, you know, multiple categories. And all I had to do was to try to not feel embarrassed. Uh, it's, but I say that in a kind of humble way, but there's an incredible amount of focus. I, I write every morning. I use this actually. It's a, an hourglass that runs for exactly an hour to make sure that I get at least an hour of composing or orchestrating in every morning, because it's a big, what I've decided to set for myself. It's a big challenge, but it's a, it's a single, single challenge and everything else. Meh. We can be, we can talk about it. We can discuss it. Why not? Bit of fun. We need to do other things. But so that for me, that's the simplicity. It's realizing that if you focus on just one thing, then you take incredible risks. You need to make sure you're focusing on the right thing as much as possible. Uh, but if you're just doing one thing, yeah, you can get, since I made that decision, I managed to finish an opera that I've been dabbling with for 20 years and then write two symphonies and a second opera. You know, it's this kind of single-minded determination for me that that was the, that was the key. How do you decide what not to do? Mm. I, think, I think for me, that's oftentimes the, the challenging thing because we, we were mentioning a mutual friend before we started recording in, in, the, in the shiny object syndrome, which I suffer from as well. Um, there's so many delightful 
triggers, paths, conversations, initiatives, mm. business opportunities, um, mm. and and discovering um, either through critical thinking or intuition of no, this is not it. But do you have any tips on how to discover the no and But again, it's not, not going to be a very original answer, but I, I think it's, um, I, I read about it in an interesting book called Grit. Um, and the author of that book, whose name escapes, escapes me for the moment, is quoting Warren Buffett, who said, um, you need to write down a, a list, an exhaustive list of all your life goals. And if that list has 25 things, um, great. Except that once you've written down that list of life goals, you have to throw away all but five. Uh, and it's easy to throw away the ones you know you shouldn't, you know, you, you're daydreaming. Right? You could be a Hollywood actor. Okay, clearly I'll strike that one off the list. I'm not particularly talented. It's not likely to happen. I'll get one. But the difficult one is when you're down to about 12, 10 or 12 that you really want to do. Um, and figuring out, as you say, which are the ones or one that you should do. The, the, way, I, the way I do that is to have a, a, a running list of projects. So I've got, you know, I'm working on, working on books, screenplays, um, ideas for innovation, IT projects. I've got a whole long list of things. Um, but I try to keep a fairly keen focus on the five at the top. Occasionally, I'll waste an afternoon tinkering on something. That, But when I do that, I try to be aware that I'm deliberately wasting my time, embrace the procrastination, go somewhere different. They have a bit of a holiday while I fool around in Blender doing something in 3D that's not helping with the symphony at all. It's just I wanted to do that. I could afford to give myself an afternoon to do that. And it's on the list somewhere. That video game I wanted to make is on the list somewhere. But it's not up the top where it gets an hour of my time after coffee first thing in the morning. Uh, right now, I'm working on a commission. That's the that's another important thing. As a composer, I've got, at the moment, I've got about five or six big projects that I'm working on. And I realize that if I work on all of them at the same time, um, I don't get anything done either. So it's deciding which is the one. And right now, I'm working on a, 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 a symphonic piece. And that piece, I really want to work on other things. But it, I, I, I discipline myself not to until I'm done with that, that one piece. So, yeah, um, a long list, an exhaustive list, making sure I'm spending the majority of my time on things I think are near the top of the list, but not being too dogmatic about that and allowing myself at times to waste a little bit of time. One of the things I do, however, try to do is make sure I waste my time in a way that I've decided to do. So if I'm going to, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not feeling inspired or I'm not very energized, I prefer to go and surf half a day or have a three-hour climb or, um, you know, tinker in, in Blender in 3D for, for half a day rather than just frittering away my time by, by, by being on Facebook or I've got, I've become quite allergic to social media as a, I could sit at my desk and do a couple of hours of productive work and fill the rest of the day with checking this feed and reading the newspapers. And I've, I had, I did an experiment where I switched all of that stuff off and realized that I enjoyed my procrastination more when I was choosing <laughs> a big mm -hmm. block of time to waste rather than wasting little bits here and there. Um, yeah, so I guess it's a, a series of productivity hacks, but they're based on, I've, I've tried lots and lots of stuff, and then there are ones that work for me because I, I consider myself a recovering lazy person. When I look at my agenda every week, it's so full. Most people would go, you're crazy to do so much work. So it's a disconnect between my self-image and what I actually do with my time. But I found reading all these productivity, anti-productivity books, a few hacks that actually work for me, and some of which really surprised me. Um, if I actually use a project management tool to plan my own week, but with the um, to make sure that I'm only feeling guilty about not working between 10 and 6 p.m. every weekday, um, 
and I try to fill that time in a way that makes sense, including sport and other things, but I try not to. Yeah, I found if I'm too free, free form about it, I walk around with, you know, Protestant work ethic guilt that I'm not getting enough done. So I've tried to set these windows where I'm at work and then choose what I'm going to do with those hours. But as I said to you before we came on, make sure that I'm not back-to-backing anything. Make sure that on a given day, I'm not trying to do twice as much as will actually fit in the hours of the day and accepting that, yeah, let's push to tomorrow or next week because th- there is no other option. I could work like people I know until you know, 11, 12 at night. But if you have that rhythm, then it will just produce more days like that until the end of time or until you drop dead, which is more likely conclusion for all of us. After 4,000 weeks, apparently. So it's, uh... Yeah, exactly. That's a kind of a sobering perspective there. Um, yeah, for me, I guess a couple of reactions is, is I appreciate writing down these projects and initiatives and ideas because it also somehow it gets it out of my head. Because um, if I hadn't written it down, it, it, they would just be constantly coming back and, and demanding attention. Um, and then I, what I do is in front of me, I've got um, some sticky notes on the bottom of, you know, so over here, uh, you know, on my right, a little bit out of the way, I've got a bunch of sticky notes of, of things, but uh, stuck to my the bottom of my screen are just the things that really are top of mind. And so I actually see that I want someone like, okay, podcast is on there because as I'm more than fully busy in a, you know, more of a, a scale up corporate world, um, that was one of the things that like, no, this caught this podcast is, is part of my creative nourishment. This is my, 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 you know, this is fun. This is just fun. You know, and, and uh, I could easily get lost if I didn't actually put those sort of self-love, self-care things up front. Mm-hmm. And so far, so far, so good. So it's, um, yeah, no, for, yeah, for me, it, it feels good to be able to, to me- visualize a bit all of those concepts, but then be, be a bit selective. And of course, yeah, then things come back. So, and play around with it. What are you doing in 3D in, in Blender? What, I, I had no idea. I've had an idea for a, a, a computer game for many, many years. In fact, it was one of my first passions when I was like seven or eight. I taught myself to program um, mm-hmm. and uh, making video games um, like the old King's Quest Sierra style games at the time. And it's been something I've continued to be interested in. And I had a, have a really nice idea for a, for a video game um, that would take in a year or two to develop and would, there's, there's nothing else out there. And occasionally I fool around in Blender, you know, prototyping objects and then mm-hmm. take it into Unity and see if I can get the physics environment going. And every time I sort of, um, it's like eating too many donuts in one go. I exhaust myself and, and go, right, okay, that was, that was fun, but it's now I'm, I'm, I'm sick of 3D. It's not really. And that's one of the interesting tests coming back to your question. Um, there aren't many things I can do every day in the morning and not get sick of. And that's one of the, one of the reasons I, I found, because I was kind of like, oh, maybe I'm not a good composer. Maybe I am, but it's an activity that I do, regardless of what people think about my music, I can do every morning with joy and be pleased with the work I'm doing. And there's so many other things, you know, I like woodworking, I like renovating houses, I like playing around in 3D, I like even programming. Um, but many of those things I get sick of if I, you know, if it takes up too much of my life. So that's also an, an interesting flag in terms of what you not so much should be doing, but what will make you happy long term is something you're happy to, to do every, every day. And it seems to be very different for me. It's composing. It's the, one of the few things that I'm happy to do literally every day. Include, I have to try and force myself not to do it on the weekends because... If, if I can, yeah. I'll do it on a Saturday and a Sunday as well. And it's, it's kind of a, like an addictive, it's like a, going cold turkey on a Sunday where I'm not writing. I'm like, well, oh, maybe I should just take an hour or two and go and compose a little bit. So. Thank you for this, Nick. Um, 
the ways to get in touch with you on LinkedIn and stuff are on the show notes. Um, so if you're watching this on Absolutely. YouTube or anything, but there's uh, your, your own uh, nmcroberts.com. Uh, for yourself, I think that's more your your composing uh, work. Yeah, and then absolutely. Key Move K E Y Move Fr is your your own consultancy work out there. Um, mm-hmm. And there is, you have a, a YouTube channel. I'm wondering, and I'll and I'll, I've put links in there. But what of those videos on there is the most like if someone wants to experience your magic? What which is the one that you would point us to? There's one on that channel called Adagio, which is a recent piece of work with a, it's a little, it's three minutes. Um, it's a, it's a piece, big piece for string orchestra. Um, it's a little bit of a meditation on the, on the couple of years we've just, just gone through collectively. That's a great place to start. That's short. It's easy, easy to listen to. Uh, people find it interesting. So that's what I recommend. Lovely. And I have, I have experienced that myself. So I, I'll put a link to that specifically in the show notes as well. The Adagio, it's three minutes and seven seconds, I see. So lovely little snack so um nick thank you so much for joining as all my interactions with you it's 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 uh, inspiring and educational and i appreciate the time my great pleasure thank you chris thank you for listening download the simplicity toolkit from ebrilliance.com to discover the power of the simplicity scan and sprint don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player